listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. And ask the ushers again to come forward, and they're bringing Bibles with them. And if you have your Bibles here this morning, I love it the way that so many of you bring your Bibles. I encourage you to bring your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand, and they will pass you a Bible, and you can open that Bible up to, uh, first of all, Luke chapter 2, and then also Matthew chapter 2. We're going to look in two passages today, and so I encourage you to be looking at Luke 2 and Matthew 2, as these are important uh, passages that deal with the Christmas season, and uh, and you can take that Bible home with you. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we would love to give, give that to you as a gift this morning and to take and to read God's Word. And uh, God's Word is one of the best gifts that we can receive and one of the best gifts that we can give out to others. And so encourage you to follow along in Luke 2 and then in Matthew 2 as we'll be looking at that in a few moments. Well, the Christmas season evokes all kinds of different reactions and responses um, to us. Us and, and for us, and it's a very emotionally charged event. We, uh, just on so many different levels, there's such a build-up, such a planning, anticipation, excitement over the Christmas season. There's Christmas concerts and baking and classic movies and songs, and there's parties and celebrations, and, 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 and for many, it's just the most wonderful time of the year. And, and for some of you, you just can't wait for it to come, especially for kids. There's a part, oh, I just can't wait for Christmas to come. And now there's also some TV commercials that um, just, I mean, they really hit it out of the park this year, it seems to me, in certain reactions and responses that one can have at the Christmas season. Let's just roll these commercials at this time. Okay. I'm doing it. I just want <laughs> Spend less time prepping and more time enjoying the holidays with our PC Bang Bang Shrimp, part of the PC Insiders Collection. Spend less time prepping and more time enjoying the holidays with our PC Squash Kale and Beet Flatbread, part of the PC Insiders Collection. No! Oh, no! <laughs> oh, I totally love those reactions and those responses, don't you? You could just see it coming, and, and, and they have a number of them, but truth be known, you don't want this news to get back to the advertisers, but I had to phone Charlotte this week and say, what were those funny commercials? Because we couldn't eat, I didn't even know who was actually putting the commercials together. We just remember the funny stuff and not that it was PC uh, food uh, supermarket or whatever, and so it was just kind of one of those comical things uh, as you get to see some of the reactions and responses to the Christmas season. But then there's some other ones. Indifference and sadness and hurt. And Christmas, maybe this Christmas or many Christmases have meant certain uncertainty or illness or brokenness or loss or a longing for something different in our lives. And for some, this is just a season that you tolerate. 
You can't wait for it to be over. In fact, the most wonderful time of the year is anything but Christmas. And for some, it's just one of those things that we just kind of maybe hold on to and endure. Perhaps there's hope that maybe next year will be different. Next Christmas will be happier. And yet so sadly, no matter where you're at on the reaction or the response spectrum today, we can still, regardless of life circumstances, have a joy and a hope and love in our lives. And it is found in no one else and ultimately in Jesus Christ, who is our true hope not dependent on externals or internal kind of events or, or feelings that we may have. That real hope has a name, and that name is Jesus. And he can be our hope this Christmas season. But that very first Christmas there were, had various responses and reactions as well. And we're going to look at some of the reactions and responses at that first Christmas and, and to see perhaps where those kind of reactions and responses back then are very similar today. The Christmas carol that we're using today as a springboard to be able to jump into God's word and examine it, and then we're going to close this morning on it, is the old Christmas carol, O Come All Ye Faithful. It was written in the 1700s, a long, long time ago by John Francis Wade. And one of the reasons why this Christmas carol is so popular is because it has a very joyful characteristic about it in the words and in the music where it says, O come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant, that, that Jesus Christ brings forth, causes a reaction, a response of joyous triumph and joy and celebration. And, and, and the carol calls us, let's go to Bethlehem, ponder, behold the baby that was born there. And, and, and the incredible words in there, word of the Father now in flesh appearing. The word becomes flesh. We see that in John chapter 1. And it speaks about the glory and the beauty of the incarnation of God coming to this earth. And then it calls us to a deep response an appropriate response to the king that has come in a manger. And that is, oh, come, let us adore him. That is the right reaction. That is a proper, that is when one totally, un, when one understands the gospel and receives the gospel, that is the response, oh, come, we just adore him. And yet, our reaction to Jesus is oftentimes not like that. And today we're going to look at three reactions or responses that people have to Jesus in the Christmas story. Reactions and responses then, and even reactions and responses even now. In the first one, oh come, let us ignore him. Oh come, let us ignore him. Because we can easily get so caught up in the busyness, the craziness of life not just at Christmas, but throughout the entire um, season of the year and throughout the entire year. We miss Jesus. We ignore him. We're so busy, we don't have time for him. Back at the time of Jesus' birth, when you, when you read it in context and see what's going on, all through the land of Palestine, in fact, enti the entire world, because as you remember, Caesar Augustus issued a, a decree and said, everyone, head off to your hometown. You have to head back wherever you are. You need to travel. You need to go back to your hometown for a census to be registered so ultimately you can be taxed. And so everyone was in a state of chaos because there was a certain time period given where everyone was to go back to their hometown and be registered. 
Just in the same way that we do a census, he was doing uh, a, a major census for the reason of taxation, very similar to what even happens today. But this time they, they had to travel to their hometown. And so everyone is in a panic. Everyone is getting, uh, hurrying to where they needed to get for this period of this census that was taking place. And, and it kind of reminded me perhaps of what, uh, what was going on, what reminded me of, of that could easily have been at the mall yesterday. It was quite amazing. I went for a little while with my wife and with my daughter, and, and, and I just, I really quite enjoyed it. I mean, it was chaos. I mean, and, and if you were to do, you know, take a drone's view of the parking lot and everything, we actually parked next to Burger King because we know no one goes to Burger King. Uh, well, no, sorry, I shouldn't say that. But anyways, not too, not too many people were at Burger King, and we walked over, and, and we uh, walked around, and then I got to sat, sit down and watch People go by and work on a sermon for you here this morning. And it was just wonderful to see the reactions and the panicking and, and, and you know, people on a mission. People, you could just tell they've left it to, you know, a little bit to the end and some of the good gifts were gone and now they're not sure what to do. You, you saw a few meltdowns happen and those were usually just husbands tired of shopping. There were some heated conversations going on. There were a lot of happy people as well and some that weren't so happy and some who were just like just trudging it out. It was rather enjoyable to sit there and watch all of that happen. Well, at the same, same time at the first Christmas, it would have been like that too. There were still people traveling and, and moving from point A to point B. But then for those who made it there, who made it to their hometown, those that arrived in Bethlehem, it was a wonderful, it was, would have been a family reunion time. It would have been a time to get together and see old friends and family members and, and, and go and see the neighbors and to see if all their kids came home. And, and, and so, so much would have been going on, and yet Jesus was born into that chaos and into that busyness. Something incredible, one of the greatest miracles that the world was the greatest miracle at that point that this world had ever seen, and they completely missed it. How do we know? In, in Luke chapter 2, verse 7, and it says, And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. They were there alone. We talked about that a number of weeks. The fact that Mary was the one wrapping her little baby in the swaddling clothes was an indication that they were on their own because the, the mother who just gave birth never would be the one wrapping the baby in that way. It would always be a midwife or a family member. There would have been someone there to assist and help. And we see in here they were all alone. Everyone else missed it. Out of the entire town of Bethlehem where the population probably was under an explosion at the time, there was no room in the inn and there was no room in people's lives for Jesus. Even though the greatest miracle was taking place, God coming to earth and they missed it. There was no room, no one noticed. And you know what, it's so easy for us folks to go through a Christmas season and go through the motions and totally miss Jesus. Oh, we can sing the carols like we did today, but we're just singing in our mind to somewhere else. Our mind is not on Jesus, on the true gift, on the miracle that the incarnation means and what the incarnation led to. It's easy for us to even go through the entire year and miss Jesus. It's easy for us to even come to church and go through the spiritual, the church motions Sunday after Sunday and totally miss Jesus because we really don't have that much time for him. In fact, we want him to have time for me, for my agenda, for my plans. And if we do have time for him, we'll give him the leftovers. We'll give him the leftovers, but not our best. And so oftentimes, that's all that Jesus seems to get, and Jesus deserves so much more than that. 
He deserves our best because he has given his, himself and God the Father gave his best. Another reaction is, oh, come, let us abhor him. You say, ooh, that one's a pretty nasty one, Melvin. That, that, that's, that's a word of hostility there. Who would actually abhor Jesus? Well, sadly, many. Many have and many will and many are even today. Let's read from Matthew 2. So flip over to Matthew 2 now and we're going to read starting in verse 1. And I'm going to read the first eight verses here. And it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Then Herod the king heard this, and he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the, Jesus, where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem, in Judea, for so it was written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, the land of Judea, are by no means least among those in Judea, for, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them uh, what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word so I can come and I can worship him. This was Herod, Herod known as Herod the builder, the one who built the great second temple in Jerusalem, among other great architectural wonders that he built during his kingship. This was Herod the puppet king to Rome. The real authority was Caesar Augustus, but he was a puppet king in Palestine. This was Herod the murderer. This was the one who had his, one of his wives killed and two of his sons became the, because they became a threat to his power. This was Herod the paranoid king. Upon hearing about this new king that had been born, this king of the Jews, he gets a little angry, he gets a little threatened and, and, and a little paranoid, and so he gets on to this mission of Oh, let me come and worship him as well. And he says to the wise men in verse 8, he says, go and search diligently for the child and tell me so I can worship him. This was the Herod who said all the right things that sounded legit, but his heart was evil, his heart was jealous, his heart was paranoid. Let's read a little further in verse 16 of Matthew chapter 2 and it says, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and sent and killed all male children in Bethlehem and all in that region who were two years old and, or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. This was also Herod, the jealous, the evil king, who was willing to do anything and everything, even go to the extreme. This was Herod, the mass murderer. He wanted, he demanded control. He wanted ultimate authority. He wanted things to be done on his terms, his way. And there was no allowance for what God would have wanted and for what God was doing. He wanted the power and the control. And you know, folks, as I thought about that this week and you look at the life of Herod, a little bit of Herod can easily creep into our lives as well. When we demand our way, our agenda over God's way. When we expect others to serve us, you know, to, to, to move to the beat of our drum. And I can't even keep time and so I confuse everyone. I can't make, it, I can't make ends meet on that end. 
But we want everyone to do what we want, when we want it, how we want it. We want people to worship and bow down to us in conversation. Do you get frustrated when someone else is doing all the talking and you don't get a chance to talk? Do you get frustrated when people aren't listening and you're doing all the talking and they're not listening? (laughs) It's so interesting to note when you study history that two years after all of this went down, Herod the builder dies. He thought he was in charge. He thought he was invincible, but he wasn't. He too is subject to the father, to God the father of the son that was born in Bethlehem that night. But Herod represents a hard heart. Someone who came to abhor the thought of Messiah, of Jesus. And sadly and dangerously, folks, if we're not careful, we can also have a hard heart. Demanding our way, our agenda. You say, Melden, that's a little extreme. Don't put me in the same category as Herod. And yet, listen to what Jesus had to say in Matthew chapter 6, 24. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise, despise, abhor the other. In this situation, Jesus was talking about money. He says, you can't serve God and you can't serve money. It's either one or the other. You're going to love one and despise the other. You can't love both. And whether it's money or power or comfort or control or revenge, whatever it is that's your master, whatever it is that's your God, you can't serve the God of heaven and the little G gods in our lives. And we will either love our God and everything else will appear as rubbish in comparison or we will love the things of this world and our God, we come to abhor him and despise him. We can't serve God in money. We can't serve God in control or in power or comfort. It's more, God, your will be done in my life. You see, when it comes to Jesus, there's only one response that will produce joy. Only one response that will produce meaning and ultimately eternal life and forgiveness. And this takes us to our third reaction and our last one we're going to look at here this morning. Oh, come, let us adore him. And I was challenged at the start of this month to look at the characters of Christmas the many characters involved in the Christmas story, and to look at their reactions to Jesus. And so, and and, and as you do that, as you do a, a Bible study on the different characters, you see that for many, they, despite their own fear or insecurity or anxiety in what their job and what God was calling them to do, they persevered. And even though their lives were altered in some of the most incredible ways, they had lived with no regrets. And in a time In time, they ended up understanding Jesus for who he really was and what he came to do. And as a result of this, there was awe, there was adoration, there was joy, a sense of unworthiness and humility and sacrifice and obedience. And as a result, there was a joy, an explosion of joy, even like a joy on steroids in their life because God was calling them into something greater, something more than themselves, more than their small little world. Look at the life as you study the Christmas story, the events leading up to it with Zechariah and Elizabeth, the parents of John the Baptist and what God had for them to have a son who would declare the way. For Mary and for Joseph, life-changing, altering events in the news coming to them that Jesus would be born in their household, that they would be the parents, the earthly parents of Jesus the Messiah. And then Jesus, after he was born and and his parents take him to the temple 
to finish the purification ceremony. And, and Simeon and Anna, those faithful old, older folks that, that held on to the promise that one day they would see Messiah. And the explosion of joy and worship that resulted in their lives or the wise men. Upon leaving Herod's place, as we read a few moments ago, as they came to Herod and they asked for where the Messiah would be born. And then we read, let's pick this story up in Matthew chapter 2, verse 9. And it says, after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen, that they had seen when it rose, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. If you're a Bible writer, if you're someone who, who writes in your Bible, I encourage you to underline, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. You might even want to write in there, this was joy on steroids. This was the best news. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. They open, then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. We see grown men on the floor worshiping a toddler. This wasn't at the stable. You've got to remember this. This was sometime afterwards, up to two years and, and uh, anywhere from a few months to a number of years. And we see grown men on the floor after sacrificing, after giving of themselves and now giving these expensive presents and gifts to a toddler. What a scene. But when we truly understand who Jesus is, and when we understand what he's come to do and when he does that in our life, that he has come to justify and redeem and to forgive and to reconcile us back to God, it produces joy and adoration and worship. And so this morning, we're going to close with the account of some other characters in the Christmas story. We're going to watch an extended video here this morning of the reaction of the shepherds, of one shepherd in particular, we watched this last year at our Christmas evening event and I think this is a good thing for us to watch again and be impacted by the impact that Jesus Christ made for a lowly shepherd, for a number of lowly shepherds. And notice the reaction, especially of the one. Let's enjoy this at this time. And so I wonder today, what is our response to Jesus? Are we ignoring him? We're busy with our own plan, our own agenda, our own pursuits and career. Thinking Jesus better get on my program. He better bless me. See, it doesn't work that way. If we continue to live life like that, we will be met with frustration upon frustration. And even if you do achieve your goals, you achieve your dreams, there'll be no true satisfaction in it. You'll be left searching and wanting more. And your life will continue to spiral as you look for that because Jesus, he's 
the only one who can fill that void in our hearts. Let's not ignore Jesus today. Or are you abhorring him today? You wouldn't say it in too many words and you would be very careful who you would say it to, but life hasn't gone as you wanted. You've prayed. You've served God. But today you're angry. You're angry at God because of things that have developed or have happened in your life. Don't run from him. Run to him today. Run to him. And I trust that each one of us, we would, upon examining our hearts, confessing areas in our lives, or running back to Jesus, that we would all adore him today. That the glory, the promise of the best gift, that spotless lamb, as John the Baptist declared, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is the best gift. May he re recapture our hearts, our affections. Would he be the one that would drive our future, our plans and our goals, everything filtered through him? And that this Christmas would be one where we are renewed in our appreciation, in our love of his wonderful grace and mercy towards us. Let's pray together. I encourage you to bow your heads. We spend some time in prayer just talking to God.